We want better schools. We want them now. Stand in our way, and you'll catch these eight black hands with Ankrum, Cole, El Mecky, and Stewart. Join us now for an hour or more of talk on education and culture. Well, there it is. I love that intro. Welcome back, eight black hands fam. Is that nice? That's yeah, nice. Isn't I love it. it. I love um, it. It feels like you're about to do something big when you you know when that comes <laughs> on. Uh, so for the people watching, you know the eight black hands are uh, about to be on the road again. We're, we're open to doing shows again. So uh, on you the that. road again. Okay, that's not the wrong song, bro. Wrong, wrong, the wrong song. song. <laughs> yeah, wrong song. I was just in Nashville. You were in Nashville. I, I figured, say, and I. I am a country music fan, but that would be the wrong one for this this episode. But um, I was just going to say that, you know, we can come to a town near you if you are brave and you uh, you have a community organization group or whatever. And you want to bring the eight black hands to town to say the things that need to be said. But, you know, for a fact that you can't say them yourselves locally, you need to reach out to us and let the eight black hands come to town. We got Raymond jumping on. Uh, so I was just Ray just doing an intro because, you know, you on CPT time. So I just had to, like, you know, do my thing, you know, do my thing. Um, uh, wanted to show the people. Look what I got finally in the mail. And the other one, I got the third one too. It's not, you know, it's over there. Yeah. So, you know what? Uh, um, uh, I'm going to, on my, I'm going to start giving books away again on my, my daily show. So y'all just come see me, come see about me, my daily on public Raymond Ancrum. I was just getting the show set up for you, bro. So, so welcome. I appreciate it. Let's see straight with it. He got his, uh, Kango hat. Looked like he got his little public enemy. They about to do the step from the, you know what I mean? S1Ws. Got my, got my education is liberation. You know, you know, you know, you know. I, I like this energy, man. Hey, listen, so, so I got the biggest compliment, uh, that I've ever gotten, uh, this past weekend. Right. And so I was in the room and, uh, and and somebody was like, "Hey, you you know why you didn't get invited to this place or that place?" And I'm like, "Well, yeah, why?" And the person was like, "Because Chris was there, and having you, having you and Chris in the same place is pretty much like having the same person in the same place." And I was like, "Oh shit, I made it." Well, well, well no, I mean, damn, I, I mean, I, we're interchangeable. We're like, uh, uh, what is that? The Transformers. Bro, you know, yeah, that was you know. the biggest compliment that I have ever received in my life, bro. I know how hard you grind. I know how hard you work. And yo, I just, I was just smiling, man. I was just like, shit, I'm putting yeah, this I, work. I appreciate that. I don't know if it's a compliment and I don't know if they meant it as a compliment, but uh, I think all That's of us are working. a compliment. Yeah. <laughs> I think all of us are working. Uh, I don't want to glorify the hustle because uh, we're not John Brown. We're not trying to die from working for this country. But uh, <laughs> I do think we work hard enough for our people and for the eight million children. Yeah. Uh, we should, at the beginning of the show, make note of, too, uh, how important our health is and that we take care of ourselves and our health. So if folks are noticing that we're, we are missing two of the eight black hands. Uh, that is only because... Some of us need to get smart and good about sometimes just taking care of yourself because you do grind so much. Uh, so Charles is not going to be with us tonight, taking care of his voice and uh, and his soul. And uh, I might be doing the same thing from time to time. So if you don't see one of us at different times, uh, don't lament it. Uh, uh, befriend it. I don't know. I couldn't think of nothing that rhymed. You know, I was trying to do the. I was trying to do Jesse Jackson thing. It don't always work <laughs> out for me, but you know what I'm saying. 
Y'all know what I'm saying. I do see in the notes here are in the in the comments already. Family is starting to show up. Mm. Toy says, wait, Chris, you owe me a book. Toy, I don't know if I owe you a book, but if I owe you a book, <laughs> just tell me uh, which one it is and we'll get the book out to you. We like to keep our promises. Ooh, excuse me. So just tell me which one it is and we'll do it. Yeah, that's, anyway, that's what, man, shit, we owe Toya a lot, man, for sure. She's one of the yeah. hardest work, work women in showbiz in terms mm-hmm. of uh, keeping us on track. She's like our, she's like our road manager, <laughs> right? In terms of, like, you know, how she runs things and how she just does just amazing work. She's kind of like a den mother. Yeah, that too. Mama okay. Toya. Mama yeah, Toya. She'll check in on you, uh, and she'll just ask you slide questions like, now, what were you thinking <laughs> as, was the point of that particular show or that thing that you did? Or where are you going with this thing or whatever? You, make, you have to think deeply about it. Well, damn, I don't know. She get that feedback. That's right. What, 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 you know, what was it? So what are we talking about tonight? Man, so uh, we're talking about a lot, a lot of things, but y'all already checked in. So first thing up, uh, we got a little clip. Uh, that the super producer, he questioned me, man. He was like, "Yo, well, what, what, what is this? What is this about?" Mm-hmm. And so, um, I want to play the play the clip, and, and I think after this, it's gonna just like take a life of his own. So, uh, super producer, if you could run the clip, take care of yourself, and I'd appreciate it if you if you want to talk to me about what I do, you can talk to me about what I do. I'm big enough to take care well, of myself. Well, even your wife say on there that you were against LBGTQ. She said that in one, one of those groups. Yeah. And she calls us black. The N-word. Let's get to the N-word. I mean, I know I'm black. Hey, do you want to address what I have to say? Do we have a house nigger in here? Yeah, you Okay. Do we? Hey, do we? Would, 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 would she please stand up? Y'all are seeing this, right? Cameras? All right. That's what Miss Freeman was called. That's what the mayor called her. What do y'all think about that? Huh? Y'all like that? An executive session. It was not any of us. I want to read something. I want to read something else that Nancy Bryan posted. She says, we have questioned where he lives. He owns multiple rental houses in Tarrant, but no one knows, but no one we have talked to knows where he lives. The address, the address given for him at one point is a rental with a Hispanic family living there. He told my husband he is rich and can live anywhere he wants to. This was after he belittled Tarrant and said only poor people live here. He seems to think being mayor made him God. As for how he got elected, he sent vans to pick up people who probably never voted before. He promised them things for their participation to get a black mayor elected. Not sure if he paid them anything or brought a meal for them to come, but there was van after van with this name on them coming to City Hall. Of course, they were all full of blacks. Bruh. I, I'm I'm a, I'm gonna throw the screen at y'all because I got I got I got to kind of I got to Wait a minute, give cause that's a school board oh, meeting oh, in Alabama. I f- I feel like it's it's more than a school board meeting, bro. It's a, it's a city council meeting. Uh, in the mayor, so uh, clan, a clan meeting a little. It felt, bit. Like, it felt like a, it definitely felt like a clan meeting, but I I, I really shit. <sighs> Man. And like, but so what's troubling, what's so troubling for me is that, you know, you got these folks that insist on saying dumb shit like racism doesn't exist in this country. And I just, bro, for the life of me, I just don't understand. Like, I just, I don't understand this kind of stuff. Like, I, 
I don't understand how to handle handle this kind of stuff calmly. I mean, that's because you're not supposed to handle it calmly. <laughs> I mean, the reason you don't, because you're fa- fairly healthy, mentally healthy. Think of the number of black people in that clip that you just showed that were acting inappropriately. They're the ones that were acting inappropriately in my mind. White man stands up and says, is there a house nigger in the room? You don't act calmly. You don't keep reading. Your sister, who is the subject of that comment, starts crying. You don't keep reading from your phone into the mic like it's business as usual. You don't sit silently like that other one that was sitting next to him. You don't. I, I mean, like, listen, you know, racist, racist going racist. And they have been racist sitting for a long time. But there's so many things wrong with that clip. There's so many. The reason that someone could be as dumb as he is and stand up and say what he said is specifically because he knows that he could possibly get away with it. There's something that, first of all, let me ask you this question. Okay, that was somewhere down south. Would that go down exactly the same way that it went down in in, uh, Alabama? Yeah. So Sharif, I'll I'll kick to you. That same scene that we just saw, would that go down the same way in Philly? I mean, I I can't even... I can't even imagine, you know, I mean, even the audience was just kind of sitting there. You heard a little slight gasp, but everybody was like kind of, you know, that's what I'm like. Wait a minute. He just said what I thought he said. Mm-hmm. And the first thing that came to my mind, like one, I'm like, sis, don't cry in, these, in front of these motherfuckers. Thank you. Like, that's, that Thank was the you. first thing. I'm like, Thank you. like what? Uh. what? and then the second what? thing that came to my mind was <laughs> remember exactly it I thought. Yeah. When, was when uh, when I was younger and I was like, you know what? What, what sometimes needs to happen is to have like a John Street and Milton Street up in your city council, right? Like I remember being a, a young boy sitting at the kitchen table and watching them throw hands like in city council because some white boy, you know, who's the city council wanted to say something, something slick. And they were just like, we ain't having it. And they just turned, you know, ended up turning this whole thing out. Now I'm a part-time pacifist, but there's certain times like you just not going to be talking <laughs> to, to folks like that, right? Like it's just, I mean, it's just to be that comfortable. Yeah, that was really right? Right. Like, I mean, that wasn't his first time because you could, he just stands up and like, oh, yeah, like, da, da, da. like, like what? Like, I mean, so it's yeah. just right. he didn't know. even say it sitting down. He's no, no he's, he's, he's he got like, like, I wanted, wait a second, I, I wanted to see like, I want you to see yeah. me. He's, oh, he's, he's, house you. niggas in here. House <laughs> niggas, where are you? You know, <laughs> I was expecting him to put his hands in the air and do a little dance. But, but Chris, yeah, I mean, but this is why this is why black folks' blood pressure and all these other issues, like this is why people suffer from from uh from this. This kind of stuff is on going in the front, in the backdrop, in your uncle, like it is constant, man. Whether it's policy, there are policies that say the same thing, right? Like, you know, they call you a nigga with policies, you know, even if they remove the word. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Today they call you CRT or BLM or something like that. Social justice warrior or whatnot, which we all know translates to nigger. Right. We just we let's be real. Like nigger is a very expanded uh, uh, vocabulary over many years. It used to be welfare queen and, you know, super predator or whatnot throughout time. The inventiveness of white supremacy is finding new ways to say the same thing over and over again. But this dude took it all the way back to the past. Yeah, he took it all the way back to the beginning. He was like, oh, no, we're going to go down with it. We're going to do an oldie but goodie tonight. We can go back to the actual uh, uh, saying of the word. But people sat around and, and kind of watched it. My man, my man with the main microphone, who's probably <laughs> the president of the board, kept reading as she was crying. 
Yeah, I don't even know what he was reading. Like, I mean, just like, yo, like every everything stuck. Right. <laughs> everything, time stopped there. Right. Time right. stopped there. Right. Right. But it's got it's got to be some kind of post-traumatic stress about uh, we're being black in this country, man. It, it, and, and you you hear you hear it all the time with like veterans that, you know, that, that go to go off to war and stuff. But shit, I feel like I'm in a war zone a lot of times in the United States, bro. We're dealing with like race and race issues and just how folks address minoritized people, man. It's disgusting. It is absolutely disgusting, man. And and man, I wish you would have sent that. I wish you would have sent that beforehand so I could have uh you know kind of prepare. Yeah, like that's uh, it's in the slack. It's in the slack. I missed it. I ain't seen that. Though, huh? I saw like I saw he was gonna yeah, I saw he was gonna send him we were gonna watch it. I was like, all right, cool. I I like all right. Um, but this is this is this, like for me. These jokers, man. What about our response to these things? Because it's no longer surprising that this type of thing can happen in well, places. We saw this, Joe. He apologized. Yeah, I'm sorry, y'all. Y'all you know, be fine. Y'all be all right. Yeah, and you know, and we got, you know, we get gaslighted all the time. We have friends and allies who like to tell us that it, we've made so much progress or it's not as bad as we think or we need to like count our blessings for what has gone well, not always focus on the negative and not make everything about race. Not and everything can be about race. And we can't teach our kids that everything is about race, Chris. We can't teach our kids that because, you know, our kids need to learn how to work hard and, and, and not get pregnant. You know, that's what they need. They need to get a job at, you know, whatever, Taco Bell and you know, blah, blah, blah. Whatever. <laughs> listen, listen, Ray, this is what I'm going to jump off of on your point that you just made, which is when you say you feel like you're in a war zone. Yeah. And, and my thing is. We so privileged now in the in time in these times versus what our our ancestors were that we need to be the war zone. Yeah. So I need to be a bigger problem to to you than that dude is, right? Like I'm not at you're not at war with me. You're not gonna win. We especially if it's a war of words and all that type of stuff. We're not, you know, put me under stress. You're not gonna mess with. I am a walking problem, and I'm gonna be a problem in your room. I'm gonna be a problem in your funder room, in your conference, on your panel, in your school, in your school district, on your news channel, or whatnot. And if we had everybody waking up every day feeling like that, that entire clip that we just saw would have been different because there would have been four black people on that panel who were there to be a problem, not to be a victim, right, of a problem, That's right. Okay. That's why we need to be raising problem children. I say it all the time. Our children, we need to be raising problem children to be a problem in that room. If you had been properly educated, you would be a problem in that room. Yeah. You know, know, and it's often, you know, in addition to what you said, Chris, as far as like, oh, you know, don't worry about race and it's not an issue. The other thing that they love to say is like, oh, that's a one off. That's one person. Oh, that's one bad apple. But they never finish the phrase. It's not just a one bad apple, period. It's one bad apple spoiled a bunch. And that bad apple happened years ago and it's been spoiling a bunch ever since. So let's stop acting like it's a one off. It's a singular thing. This is a pervasive mindset, whether it's verbalized or not, whether it is you see it or not. It is as, you know, both visible and invisible all simultaneously. And we got, you know, like I I agree like that. That joint should have just been turned up. This should have been a very different, different video. Yeah. Yeah. Now, now I see something in our private chat that is giving us some context here of what you saw. Yeah, please. please. Just a little piece of context. The mayor who is black reportedly called that woman a house nigga in private meetings. And this white council member 
was getting called out on his wife's racist Facebook posts. So he decided to use this as the moment that he was going to expose that the mayor had called this woman a house nigga. So isn't that bad is, is kind of what he was saying. Right. Uh, uh. <laughs> we're not doing that. We're not, we're not going to that comment. We're not going to that comment. I see y'all. We're moving on. We wrote, we wrote an amazing blog. And, uh, and, and that is the focus of, of, of tonight's show. Uh, we didn't get sidetracked because this was like a, a I, I am like I'm, I'm uh, go ahead finish I'm gonna like kind of like I'm a transformers I gotta like transform my whole my whole thought this pattern. is what Ray does Ray puts these things out there it's like the appetizer will be something having nothing to do with the meal you there for sushi and the appetizer will be like he just, tips. He just punched you know? me in the gut and like hey so what do you think about that how that writing be? I'm just like yo my stomach hurt like <laughs> <laughs> Bro, that's the beauty of the show, man. You know, we give people a variety of things, and and they they need it. It's all things that it's food for food for thought, man. So yeah, yeah. if you're listening to our show right now, we depend on you. I'm on my cold. We depend on you to get the message out. Please share, like, retweet, uh, and I'm on my ray now. We're not moving on until I see some more likes and loves and and, and thumbs up. So let's go get these thumbs up going uh, as as Reef uh, proceeds to uh, to uh, segue into this uh, this this next. Uh... So Reef, you're talking about yeah. your blog. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, so a little while ago, for the principal project, um, did a blog, and was, the title is Three Ways Every School Leader Can Help Build a Pipeline of Educators of Color." You know, we we hear a lot of folks who are saying like, "Oh, you know." We, we need to diversify, but they're, you know, at times when people are saying like, we need to do this, they're often saying, oh, somebody else needs to do this, or I can't do anything because I'm waiting on that policymaker or this. And, you know, and it's like, we can't be passive about it. Uh, but then the other piece that I really wanted to drive home, it's not just about recruitment. We've spoken about this before in the show. Like sometimes, you know, I hear these uh, school leaders and district leaders talk about recruitment as if they're, you know, on a safari, you know, we're looking for that elusive black male educator. And there he is walking down the street. How do we snare him? How do we get him on our school? Like that ain't it. Right. Like. And so what I really try to highlight are one, what's your retention plan? There should be a prerequisite of things you're thinking about that you're doing. You're you're addressing yourself. You're addressing the mindset. You're addressing the ecosystem so that it is a safe place to land, a safe place for black and brown people to work, not hostile environments. Right. Like thinking about. Is it a great learning environment for black and brown students? Then chances are, if it is a great learning environment for black and brown students, it will be a positive working environment for black and brown educators who are just older versions of your students, you know, and they had some of the similar experiences suffering different variations of the same trauma. And so, uh, you know, compounded because now they're adults working in the system and and maybe some of the other uh, traumas that they, uh, you know, experienced were not being, um, haven't been addressed anyway. So it's just compounded on top of that. Right. And so that's that's what it was basically about. And then also just telling principals like be be proactive. You don't have to wait and be passive and wait for black folks to fall down the chimney and like, oh, look who arrived at our school. Like, nah, like like be be assertive, be be a problem solver. Yeah. But so to paint even more context, though, I feel like we need to talk about what we're looking for in principles, right? Because mm-hmm. like, I, I begin, I, I think that, you know, teachers play a major role in, in the dynamics of the school. But I think that when you think about the leadership of the school, 
Mm-hmm. It's important to discuss the types of leaders that we want to see in front of our kids because leaders set the pace in terms right. of like what's happening in those schools. And so, Chris, I want to bring you into this conversation because it's like as a parent, right, from the from the lens of a parent, what are you looking for in terms of like when you see your school leader in action or with the many schools that you visited or from your experience on the school board? Like what is that dynamicness that needs to exist from a school leader? Mm. Well, you guys are really the expert on this one. So, I mean, for me, I, I have a transparent lens. Yeah, you know, I have a very, I'm glad you phrase it that way because I have a very outside looking in type of way of looking at this question as you're talking about. Like, as a parent, it's not the same thing that I think you all need to know about like on the inside, like all the like how you run a school, how you keep staff on track, how you make sure that like, you know, data is being used the right way as an instructional leader and all that stuff is more inside. But from the outside, you don't see all that. That's like the, you know, so what you see is actually a customer service person in some ways. Like when I have had to interact with principals, it's only because there was something that I needed solved and I needed some bit of confidence that you could solve it, whatever it was, and some real just basic bread and butter or everyday type of issues, right? So I think about like, you know, as early years as a parent with some of my oldest, uh, with my oldest uh, firstborn, for instance, uh, there were multiple principals in a row and I don't think I knew any of them. Mm. Like never had any interaction with any of them. And even when there were problems and it was almost kind of like that school, the teachers were running the school in a good way, I should say, in spite of the fact that they had weak principals. They had like, I want to say three to four weak principals all in a row. Mm wasn't until we got to a charter school in middle in the middle grades where I saw the need for uh, I saw the utility of a strong principal who mm. knows what they're doing. And one of the ways in which was the school was was operating like a Swiss watch. That's, you know, things happened when they when they were supposed to happen. Uh, um, it was clean. It was efficient. The teachers looked like they, they teachers looked like they could get fired. It's the difference between flying on an airlines where they're unionized and nobody can get fired versus the airlines where everybody knows they can get fired. So they treat you nice and they call you Mr. So-and-so and they say, thank you for, uh, you know, for coming with us today and blah, blah. They're not like United where they drag you off and beat you up and tell you they don't give a shit. Hey, so, so that's the difference. Don't, don't give American a break, bro. <laughs> Listen, well, you know, Americans, uh, I think, unionized too. Delta is the only one that isn't, I think. And that's why you get treated so well in Delta. You get treated like a king. So anyways, like th- this, uh, I'll give you a very specific example, though, is there would be little problems. We get a note home or something in the week principal school that we had. And it took a while for the teachers to be able to like hook up a meeting or whatever. First time that ever happened at the the middle school that we were at with a very strong principal who was not liked by everyone. And even some of the parents and even I had some run ins, but the parent or the, the principal ran the thing in a way where you were you knew it was competent. You knew things were going to work. And we when we did encounter one problem, I can remember she quickly had us all in a room sitting down with every one of my students, teachers in a circle so that there was no miscommunication from one class to another or from one part of the day to another. It was a 360. And I remember sitting there as a parent being like, this is wild. You pulled this together quick. We got this figured out quick. (laughs) I'm going home fully informed with everything I need to know. And I'm off to the races. I don't have to come down here eight times. Uh, uh, That to me was just like a bread and butter daily type of parent thing you want from a strong principal. But I didn't know all she was doing in the background to make sure that those teachers were were the right ones because she had she just seemed to have nothing but sharp 
young, bright eyed teachers. And I didn't know how that happened, you know, and they were on top of their game and whatever. I would have never known all that. All I knew is when there was a problem, I could count on her to just like fix it, make it go away. Yeah. I mean, a lot of times folks ain't looking for, uh, you know, perfection. They're looking for like how you resolve, how you resolve issues, how you problem solve. I remember, you know, at how we used to, you know, how principals would get feedback on certain things uh, was around some of the, the, like just, we had a management standards, things that, you know, aren't always taught in uh, principal certification classes or taught in places, right? You hear this, it's, it's about leadership in general, like how do they execute, right? Like how do they come up with mm. having high expectations, a culture of accountability and support, um, you know, like the attitude of of leading, like how does that come across? How's What does problem solving look like? You know, what's your job specific knowledge and how are you organized and how do you communicate both interpersonal as well as across the organization, right? And then things like how do you manage others and what's your mindset? What's your, what is it, like, do you use agile pursuit to solve a problem? Do you get to a door like, oh, the door's closed. I can't solve it. Like that wall is there and it looked pretty high, right? Like like all the things that that it takes. And, and I think this is a, a big part of it is like, like leading is it's, it's hard work, right? You have to think about it and, and not enough folks are developed and gotten feedback about it. And I think that's a, you know, that's a huge part of it. Feedback from multiple folks, multiple stakeholders, families, students, staff, you know, um, as well as, you know, coach or supervisor, whoever it is. And so the just the leadership aspect in schools, and you know, we talk about teachers, they're leading classrooms, they're leading students, they're leading human beings, but so are school leaders, right? And, you know, I, I've heard from a lot of school leaders, they're like, hey, we weren't developed. We, you know, we were put in here, we're trying to figure it out. Our supervisor may not necessarily develop us, right? They didn't just like have their own checklist, like, oh, did you, where's the rock salt? Oh, did you do this? Uh, did you do that? But not actually, you know, supporting folks and solving problems um, that many of them are complex. Some of them are really quite simple. Yeah. So, uh, man. So when I was a teacher, I was the principal of my classroom. Right. So like mm -hmm. I, I was I was helping on like not sending kids out because a lot of people judge you when you send kids like, you know, this is prior to like zero tolerance or whatever. And they were just sending kids out and just destroying lives or whatever. But prior to that, I like keep my problems in-house, deal with my problems myself, because then if I deal with them myself, then there's nobody, there's nobody else's problems, right? Especially if then, you created them. Right. <laughs> yeah, I mean. yeah, because like the majority of the time, if you're sending somebody out of their classroom, it's because of something you did or your inability to be able to connect with a kid or whatever, right? So like you gotta, you gotta work harder, right? And so as a school leader, what, what, I've, what I've learned is that um, you have to be an instructional leader um, in your school, right? So you have to be the point person in terms of like what instruction looks like. And for those people that come in mid-career or go into the principalship without having enough experience as teachers or whatever, the thing that you need to do as a school leader is that you need to get someone that's there uh, in the trenches with you that knows those things that you can now delegate these things to. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I think that that's important. Like you got to uh, you learn. Yeah. We say this all the time. Like you got to hire for your blind spots. So if there's something that, you know, that you're not good at, like those teachers are going to detect that immediately. And then they're going to start focusing on that as opposed to focusing on kids. Right. So if you come in and you give surface level feedback and teachers are like, what the hell is this? And why would you tell me to do this or whatever? Right. Without being able to. And this is extremely important for folks that are listening, especially if we got teachers in, in the arts teachers and leaders in the audience. If you're not able to model good instruction, 
for your teachers, then they're not going to believe in you and they're not going to believe in your leadership, right? Mm-hmm. Modeling good instruction does not mean that you need to be a master in biology. No, it doesn't. But it, need, it means that you need to be able to, to ask those driving questions that's going to allow your students to kind of think outside of the box in terms of getting into the answers because that, that that's what it's all about. It's all about teaching your kids how to engage and how to think, right? And so, <laughs> bro. I mean, I'm, I'm so glad you said that. I remember having a supervisor who would stand up in front of us and say, I don't know anything about instruction. And I'm like, what what, the, what are you doing here? How'd you get that job? Yeah, I mean, like, you're, you're leading principles and you're literally, I don't know nothing about instruction, but I'm a leader. Yeah. Like, yo. Like, you, use the AP of, you can use the AP of facilities. Yeah, like lead yeah, something else. Like it was, it, it was, it was bizarre. But like that speaks to just the, the you know the lack of you know. And someone hired him for that role, right? Yeah. And so just the lack of respect of what instruction is, what uh, black and brown children need, like the you know all of that. It was, it was I just found it to be so disrespectful. Um, and you know, obviously couldn't jive. You know. Uh-oh. Yeah. Hey, uh, 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 future doctor David McGuire, uh, future doctor Demetrius Ball. If y'all in these comments, text me. I can get y'all to call in because uh, it, these guys, the Engaged Podcast, are our three effective school leaders that are on our network. So if you guys text me, I, I, I my bad. I, I put the show together wrong, but we're gonna get through it though. We're gonna get through it. That's all good. That's all good. <laughs> um, no, I think America. Um, this is an interesting conversation just for me because it does feel like in, inside baseball a little bit. I think America feels more intimate with the conversation about teachers, but not principals. Mm. Like I feel like America and, and most lay people and most parents, most people like me on the outside would assume that we know more because we have more direct interactions probably with teachers than we do with principals. And they're, they're a step removed from it. And oftentimes they're not very effective, just to be very honest with you. Like I told you about that one principal, but what came after that was also multiple schools after where the principals changed every couple of years or few years. I saw one really big difference in our current schools. Um, where there was chaos in the lunchroom every time that I would visit and things felt a little bit loose in, in certain ways. And then the assistant principal became principal when that principal left. And that assistant principal must have been like a great understudy of who was like sitting at home like, I can't wait for you to leave. I can't wait for you to die off so I can take your job. And I swear within one year, um, there were things instituted around uh, parent engagement, around the lunchroom, around things like like uh, they started doing different, uh, like, uh, I don't know what you call it when you're pulling the kids together in, in groups. It felt a little bit like tracking, but they kept explaining to us that it wasn't tracking or whatever. But it just felt like there was more um, uh, intentional leadership around some of these things. So as a parent on the outside, the way that I experienced that was not knowing the technical details going, wow, lunchtime seems a hell of a lot more orderly around here now. Mm hmm. And they're not yelling at the kids and they don't have that table in the middle where they put all the kids who get called out for things. And, and oh, by the way, it always happens to be a table full of Somali kids that changed the next year. And I was like, well, wait, that gives you the hint that you could have been doing something all along. Leadership does matter. Right. Yeah. You know, I don't know what the secret sauce is. But you did something. I mean, but some of it may have been listening, right? You know what they say, you're, you know, people stop talking if you're not listening. Whatever was implemented the year after the leader left likely could have been implemented when the leader was there. 
um, because that person probably had ideas or they were listening to the staff or over the summer. They're like, hey, staff, families, what do you want to see differently? Those are all things that could have also happened, you know, beforehand, you know. Um, Mm -hmm. I want to stress that, you know, I I know we're saying like hire for weakness, but people shouldn't be just complacent and revel in their weakness. And we're like, I ain't got to think about that at all. Like somebody doing that. We should all, you know, uh, be modeling what continuous improvement look like, what lead learnership looks like, all those kind of things. But yeah, absolutely. But hiring a team that, you know, my thing is always hire a team that's going to tell you no or that's a bad idea or, you know. Uh, those things for me has always been, you know, super important. Yeah. I, listen, you better hire somebody that's going to tell you that's a bad idea. Because if not, yeah, it's going to be in the forefront with all these bad ideas. <laughs> but, you know, and, and we got to call it out here because I, I have said this on this show before, because I know one or two principals. I know one right now, as a matter of fact, uh, a brother who's in a tough situation. Because unlike you two. Ducky individuals. This individual doesn't get to pick his team. Mm. Uh, he doesn't get to just as like, a principal. As a principal, he doesn't get to do the like the, the the football coach thing, where it's like, oh no, you're not working. We're gonna change you out with another player. You don't get to do that thing. So that's a whole different level of job. I think at the I point. empathize. Like I've been yeah, in that situation right. too. Yeah. I empathize. I mean, not for long, but I, I, <laughs> I not for long. I, no. hey, I don't think I don't think that's sustainable for a long time, bro. It's like it's like you got you got to kind of be you got to kind of be like the uh, the general manager at some point, right? You can't just be the coach. You got to be the general manager at some point in order to be able to pick your talent and pick the people that you want that's going to best fit or align with with, with your vision, right? If, if they're just sending you people from central office that don't necessarily align with your vision or there's not a way to kind of interview these people prior to or have job fairs prior to in which you're having conversations with folks to see if your interests align. That's not only bad for the school and the kids, but that's also bad for the teacher, right? Like you're going to bring this teacher into a situation that they don't really know about just to receive a paycheck. And I think that that's, that's kind of what's wrong with education, bro. Like I can't bring you into this situation. If, if, I, if that's going to be a bad year for you, because at the end of that like, year, you definitely going to leave. But let me... Yeah. I mean, but let me say, listen, and this is unfortunate, but we, you know, we're about speaking truth. I've met principals who were actually fine with that because they they didn't want to, they, the accountability piece scared them so much that they'd rather just be able to always have someone to blame. And they felt like, you know what, if they send it to me and that person's not working out, like, oh, well, and also want to make sure, like, you know, what, as a leader, your job is to also develop people up to a certain point. Right. Like some folks, if the mindset is just trash, then that's not. Something. But, you know, to help people grow and challenge them to, you know, think, you know, differently. Um, but if their mindset about the people they serve and all of that is not is not on point, you know, that's a hard that's that's not fertile land to grow. Um good fruit in, you know, you have, you have a lot of rotten stuff going on. So, but, right, so I, but I've met principals who did not, who were fine with it. They were comfortable, complacent, and didn't want to be accountable for, you know, massive but things. you know what? The system actually breeds people like that, though. The, the system actually rewards and breeds mediocre people. Um, just, I, I mean, like, like, listen, here's my short rant. 
uh, <laughs> like, 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 you know, school districts or whatnot, they have to standardize a lot of what they do. Number one, to idiot proof the classroom. Number two, to not have any labor problems and all that. So when you look at things like uh, steps and lanes that are completely divorced from merit or output or mm-hmm. what you do, things mm-hmm. where, you know, you just get paid a certain amount or whatnot. That's kind of like making everybody at the same level. And there's no human population that should always be at the same level of, of their skill or time. It's just not logical that you you would do it that way. But a system has to do it that way if they're trying to be like the industrialized, bureaucratized, unionized education system, which is why they hate charters so much, because they're like, y'all can get away with so much in charter schools that we can't get away with. Now, I sometimes think that's a lie. I sometimes think that's just stuff oh. that there's I, sometimes I just think it's like, yeah, like like, you know, uh, an excuse. But at other times, I think it's desperately true. Uh, um, you know, there there is a need to treat every third year person the same and every eighth year person the same and every 15th year person the same. So like if you are a principal Sharif and you have, you know, you need to, to switch up your team to do right by your children and you can't do it. That's a draw. That's a drag on you, which is why a lot of people leave schools and school districts because they don't think that they can affect change that comes out in, in polls. It's also a draw on the teachers because Listen, what if you did have to get rid of a few or move a few out or whatnot? They got to go somewhere and guess where they're going to go. In most school districts, they end up in the schools where the kids need the most help, not the worst. Right. So that's the way the system works. You know, the the dance of the lemons is real, bro. So like unions need everybody to be treated the same at their third year. But we don't. Like our kids don't. And this is this is why I boost school choice so much and, and charter schools so much. Give me. Uh, a leader who can live and die on their own accord, whether or not they can lead a school, let them pick their team. And if they do well, then that's on them. If they don't do well, that's on them. But you can't expect them to do it. If you're giving them the broken down teachers out of a pool that has been pulled from the low end of the collegiate cognitive pool of teachers. I mean, whatever. I'm just going to leave it there, you know. Hey, so we got, we got a uh, uh, future doctor, Demetrius Ball on the line, sir. Oh, <laughs> Can you hear us? I can hear you. Good evening, fellas. Good, good evening. Good evening. Good evening. Uh, good evening. Good evening. So, so can what, you can you clean anything up that uh, that Chris just said? He just threw everybody under the bus. Can you they clean anything? No damn cleaning. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead, boy. I'll let it stand. I'll, I'll let it stand. I mean, because I because I was calling in, I didn't I didn't hear all of it. Um, I heard a little bit about picking up some from the bottom of the barrel, but I didn't get the whole. Yeah, now he's talking about accountability, but go ahead. Oh, I appreciate uh, having the opportunity to come on tonight. Um, you know, I think from a leadership aspect, it is it is a it's a challenge because I, I put the question in here uh, regarding the support that principals get, and you touched on it a little bit uh, as far as you know, uh, we don't get the coaching. We don't get the support, the mentorship that we need to develop um, the staff individually as, as principals, but also, um, you know, and when you're not a, a strong leader, uh, you know, you, you don't have that model um, that so many of us need uh, to help establish a strong uh, staff. Yeah, that's what's up. Hey, so 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 Ball, I appreciate you calling in, bro. Hey, and that's why your podcast exists. So, folks, if you are listening to this podcast, if you want to get free PD, uh, these brothers do it once a month. Uh, the Engage Podcast, Ball, Rue, Rue King. 
<laughs> so the cues say rude now they used to like oh bark or something God, i'm just trying to i always want to understand man it's like yeah i used to hear him barking but now it's ruin like don't try don't yo, try yo, I, I won't i, I won't yo, he, yeah. he, he wants to set his life back 25 30 years i know he does right i know he does i know he does <laughs> Not for that. Yeah. <laughs> oh. A lot of other things, but not for that. Yeah, hey, well, you know. <laughs> man. <laughs> man, so 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 Reef, man, your focus is on teachers and it, it, it kind of aligning teachers in terms of like, you know, building up a pipeline for teachers and then sustaining the pipeline. So talk to us more about the toolkit that um that, that you guys have developed at the Center of Black Education uh, Develop. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, and that, and this is a great time to even uh, recognize, you know, one of our, our Babas, you know, um, elder and, and uh, freedom fighter, Bob Moses, passed away this, uh, I believe, earlier this morning, a member of SNCC, but he was also a high school teacher. Yes. Um, Bob middle, Moses. Middle, middle and high. Yeah. Right. And so Bob Moses is, was an educator and it was an activist. And, you know, I mean, when we're talking about like active, there's certain activists like, you know, like. Like who do a lot of work and there are others who put themselves in harm's way. Right. And so folks in SNCC who were folks who were going to Mississippi, um, you know, uh, where folks like that uh, city council member were riding around in hoods and shooting at the cars that Bob Moses was in once or threatening them and, you know, murdering folks and, and all of that. So there's, a, you know, one thing just wanted to shout out and give love to, um, you know, to to the activists and, and all the folks that he's inspired, including myself um, as, as educators who are doing, you know, who are doing this work. Um, and I would say, you know, so we talked about earlier uh, people trying to recruit, 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 but not thinking about what is the the uh, ecosystem that's conducive for educators of color. And so with uh, the Pennsylvania Educator Diversity Committee, one of the things we wanted to work on and really challenge people was to look at retention. And we designed this toolkit, not just for principals. We didn't want principals by themselves in a, at their desk, at home, whatever, just focusing on it. We wanted leadership teams to engage with this toolkit. We wanted principal supervisors. So that's what we wrote it for. Principal supervisors, so they'd have more than a checklist when they're checking in. They're like, hey, here's some of the data. Here's what retention looks like. Here's what the data looks like. Let's set a goal for what this could be, because we know at the end of the day, this is what's good for students, uh, particularly students of color, uh, but then also leadership teams, because it can't just be a principal who's thinking about this. It should be a dispersed leadership team, because if you're a principal and you got the right mindset, but you got a joker like that city council member, and many schools have someone like that, whether they're, whether they're outlandish like that. Or outright like that. Right. Yeah. And so if you have that, that is why you need a leadership team where there's a collective accountability. Like, nah, this doesn't happen. Not just on the principal's watch. This doesn't happen in our school. Right. And so uh, and that's why we designed the toolkit. So, you know, it's in the chat. You know, feel free to share it. It's open source. Um, you know, we have PD that can come with it uh, later on in the year. But in the meantime, we just wanted to get it out there for for leadership teams, but also for families to be able to see. Right. Hey, I wonder if our leadership team is thinking about about this. And a lot of it is around mindset. Like, how are you thinking about students? How are you thinking about your own 
um, excavating your biases against uh, folks of color? How are you exiting them off the telephone, off a phone interview? Like, oh, you don't sound right. You, yeah, I sound black. <laughs> that's, that's what I, I don't sound right because I sound black. I don't sound like you. I'm not doing that, uh, you know, elevated. Every sentence sounds like a question kind of thing. So uh, all of that stuff. Yeah, man. Yeah, that's a thing, man. Yeah, man. Um, so so you touched on it, man. Uh, Robert Moses, yo, that dude was a started the algebra project, man. And listen, you know, and and uh, I'm I'm I was trying to put together a montage to like kind of you know give him a tribute on eight black hands, but I wasn't able to 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 get it all together. But um, some of the things that I learned is that you know, man, (laughs) it was a very smart dude, and like so he's looking at um he he talks about. Actually, there's some similarities to like how Cole approaches the work and how uh, Mr. Moses approached the work in the sense that they both look at the data from like incoming freshmen in schools. And then they tell you like how many years this person is going to have to take a remedial math class, how much financial aid that's going to cost from having to take those remedial math classes from not being prepared when they hit uh, when they hit college. So that's kind of similar to uh, the A to G uh, research that Charles does. So it definitely made me think about Charles when I when when um, when I was looking at at the clips and whatnot. But like brilliant dude, um, just brilliant man. And then like spurred the movement for 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 uh, Mississippi Freedom Rise. Like he was like the catalyst for uh, for a lot of the things that happened down there. Man, it's brilliant. Yeah, man. So you know. Yeah, I mean, listen. There's a we are, we have a long legacy of, of folks like that, you know, and I'm just super grateful that we can both stand on and lean on shoulder, broad shoulders, uh, experienced shoulders, uh, you know, embracing the community type shoulders, um, like like uh, Bob Moses and and his and his uh, his rollies, his homies, right? Like you know, um, them brothers and sisters were. You know, they were doing things. And I just I just think about like in this context, what what would it look like, you know, education wise, if the way that they looked at Mississippi and say, you know what, we're targeting that state. <laughs> um, and they, they're like acknowledge like it's racism everywhere. But right now we're targeting Mississippi. What would that look like if we did that for our schools? Yeah. You know, schools and adjacent is like, you know what? Yeah, it's a whole lot of crap going on everywhere. But here's what we're going to target right now. The, what we're protecting are the, the brains of our future, right? Like that brain trust that are in these little human beings, that is, that's what we're going all in on. Um, just imagine what, you know, how we can, um, you know, be those vanguards that they were. Yeah. Uh, uh, William Conrad, he was 86 years old. Um, yeah, 86. I tweeted out a quote from him earlier today that um, says, why can't we set up our own schools? What students really need to learn is how to be organized to work on the society to change it. And I have never forgotten that uh, quote. I read it in a book a while ago, also was in an Atlantic article. But the thing that hit me about it was he's talking about schools on multiple levels, not just like a regular everyday neighborhood school, but like freedom schools, uh, political school, activism school and school school. And, you know, and he had a thing around math and algebra and whatnot. So to answer your question, Sharif, you know, like what would it look like if we took his type of focus? This is where, where it becomes really interesting is finding black leaders 
uh, and educators who can start counter institutions, which is where his question was coming from when he said, why can't we start our own schools? He was talking about setting up counter institutions. Mm -hmm. If the mainline institutions weren't going to work for us, why would we keep going down the integration path is kind of where people in his camp were starting to think. Mm -hmm. What that would look like today is principles of our own choosing, starting schools of our own choosing, using pedagogy of our own choosing and our own vetting, um, using assessments of our own choosing and our own vetting and for our own purpose. And I don't care what people have to say about like segregation or whatever else way you might want to look at this. After all of these years of being mistreated, mishandled and actually uh, um, kind of abused by the mainline system that wasn't built for us or for our best intention, it actually seems kind of stupid to keep following the line of uh, thinking of anything other than what Bob Moses was talking about. But this is the question back to you all. If we get to that point where we're setting up counter institutions with our own people, our own leaders, our own teachers, our own pedagogy, developing our own black uh, educational capital. Um, and I just want to say this for the record. It does not mean that we're not going to hire white people, by the way, because right. we don't hire anybody who works with us. Right. Like in the freedom schools, we had lots of Jews working with us right. actually and helped us keep the thing alive. So there's a multiple strategies here to be used. It just means we're going to be in control of the who, what, when, where, and how, because yeah. it's for us. Right. Yeah. Um, but I, you know, when I said I throw back to y'all, this is what I throw back to y'all, y'all on doing now that you have that though, and you've moved white people out of the way. Now you're going to have to deal with your own people that may not be measuring up or whatnot. Because right now you have this handy, I don't want to call it an excuse, but you have this handy hammer that you can beat, that it's the culturally incompetent folks on the other side that are getting things wrong, which they are. But then now when we own the whole table, we're going to have to deal with quality ourselves uh and what's your answer to that like like so so, so my, my answer is very simple right and so i i think that there's a way so when i think about when i when i think about my imaginary school well not 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 really imaginary because in the not so distant future i'll probably want to do it and, and probably you know I'll, I'll probably shepherd that but when i think about the school that i want to design yes i want to design a school for uh black and brown kids but it's not going to exclude white kids it's going to be a different kind of integration it's not going to be forced. That means mm -hmm. that if, mm -hmm. if, if white parents want to put uh, their kids in, in, in the types of schools that I want to design, they're more than welcome to do so. Right. So it's kind of like it, 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 I think forced integration is what made integration fail. But if you willingly want to put your kids into schools in order to have them learn about different cultures and uh, black excellence and excellence outside of your own race, then mm -hmm. I welcome that. And it's also the same for the teachers that I'm willing to onboard as well. If you got teachers that are able to get out of their own way in order to see the fact that, you know, there's some privilege that may exist from uh, one race to another. And they're trying to eliminate that. They're trying to eliminate uh, the things that, you know, have, have made this uh, wealth disparity exist in the United States. I'm willing to work with those teachers. I work with some of those teachers now, right? And I think they are amazing with, with black kids. They are amazing with brown kids. So I don't think that it's more than just a color thing. It's more of a mindset thing. And Reef, I know you can speak more about this because you know I know I know that you know when you develop teachers, you develop them from the mindset first. And so, yeah, let's dive into that. Uh, you know what, one of the things that, um and you're absolutely right. Mindset sets the stage for every single thing else. Like you, without that being on point, 
um, it's going to be really hard for uh, for students to reach their optimal levels. If people think negatively about it, if they have low expectations about children, about the co- communities that love them, if they have low expectations for themselves about themselves. Yeah. Right. There are educators who are like I have low expectations for myself as far as what I'm going to challenge myself, the planning that I'm going to do, the the research that I'm going to do. Right. Like all of that is is absolutely, uh, you know, crucial for, you know, for it. Um, and, you know, we we often <laughs> we talked about this before. And, if, and Chris, I think, just mentioned this. We often talk about like cultural competence. We don't spend enough talking about the incompetence. That's that's uh, pretty pervasive. Right. Like where we keep talking about aspirationally. Um, but right now, if, we're, if if competence and competence is the is the low bar, mm. if just competence is the aspiration. Then we're how mired in the muck are we right now? Mm. Right. Like because the level of incompetence that's pervasive, that goes up and down and across and that students are forced to endure. Right. Students are forced. It's like it's like when they say, you know, cops are trained, but they can get they can get excited and shoot you. But your job, even though you're not supposedly trained, you're supposed to remain calm. <laughs> they're the ones <laughs> they're the ones that's like shooting everybody and all yeah. panic. And, oh, yeah, I thought my life was in danger. Blah, blah. And the same thing for students. Students actually have to kind of train themselves to endure the garbage like uh, Chris like to say hot garbage on a sunny day, right? Like <laughs> that, they, they have to endure that. They actually like how, how much of themselves do they have to shrink to endure that for 13 years? That's sick that we endure with that. Do we push that on our children um, so often? And, and I get, and free, while we have freedom schools, right? I get so excited about freedom schools, but it also saddens me, right? Because I've had, you know, and this five or six weeks, Right. And these are high school and college students. But for a college kid to say, I learned more about black history in a week of training than I did my entire high school, you know, my entire time in school or to have kids who are education majors and say, I learned more about teaching black and brown children than these five, six weeks than I did. And I'm a junior in college. Right. Like that's like that tells me we're we're doing the right thing, but it, it sickens me to my stomach at the same time. Right. And so I, I take no joy from it. Cause it's like, yo, like, and it, cause we just got a little drop in the bucket as far as like what's actually happening. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I, I, so that's, that's an excellent segue in order for you to, uh, for us, for us, not just you, but for us that are doing this work to kind of get behind you and corral behind you in order to impact more kids and more education majors in terms of like doing that work because that work is extremely important. So thanks for, for highlighting that. And so, fellas, uh, real quick, I know I know we're getting to the end of this, but I did a survey today on mm-hmm. Twitter, right? And so the survey question was... I, I missed that. I like your surveys. Should, uh, should teachers be required to become vaccinated in order to return to work? And so I know this is going to be pretty uh, a, a pretty volatile uh, uh segment of, of, of conversation. So, Chris, we'll start with you because I know you're going to be the most violent. What are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> I am the peaceful person on this particular podcast, I'll have you know, sir. <laughs> I'm the one who is the most peaceful here. Um, I think it's a tough question. All I can say is, no, you don't have to be unless you want to teach my kids. I mean, like that that's the only difference I'll put on it. Like if you want to be ignorant and stupid somewhere else, then have at her. But what I, you know, uh, I actually want 
science to rule the day. Uh, you know, this, this Dunning-Kruger movement, people should look up what Dunning-Kruger means. The Dunning-Kruger movement where the, the increasingly stupid people of a society are the ones who start becoming the most loud and the ones that actually who are the least likely to know what they don't know not know what they don't know, as a matter of fact, um, is becoming ex especially pronounced in the United States and it's causing lives. People are dying. People are dying because we have large groups of people who think that they know better than people who have studied uh, pandemics their whole life and, and, and science their whole life. And um, I listen, I am still nervous that we're not out of the woods and, and every day I get evidence that we're not out of the woods. And I don't think that anybody has all the answers, but I do know for a fact that we should feel relatively better about the answers around being vaccinated and being masked than not. And, um, and I think the people who are against this, it's not scientific, it's political. They, they're on some political stuff. They're on some ideology, some anti-Biden, anti-science. You know, the, the elites are trying to force this down your throat and all that type of stuff. Good for you. Do your thing. Uh, um, I'm trying to keep my kids uh, from from contracting something in the same way that you do when you get vaccinated for everything else. Why is it that we've been getting vaccinated for years and it only became a problem now? Our kids have been getting vaccinated to go to school for years. They don't even let you in the damn school unless you can prove your vaccinations and stuff, you know, like like it never was an issue. So right now what we're seeing is a, a, a political tantrum. Uh, and I don't want that in the teacher class. Now, I know how it sounds. I get it. Teachers want to be free and blah, 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 and do their thing, whatever. And uh, uh, I, I'm not calling for the same thing, for instance, for firefighters. Uh, I don't think firefighters should have to be vaccinated to do their job, whatnot. But they're going to be wearing a whole bunch of stuff on them. <laughs> so, so I feel relative. Number one, I don't see firefighters very often. Number two, I don't give them my kids very often. Number three, when they do show up, they got masks and all kinds of other, and oxygen. DVD, and other kind of stuff DVD going to the 10th degree, yeah. right? Yeah, so I don't know. I'll yep. kick it back to y'all. Brief. Yeah, my answer is a little, uh, just a little nuanced. Like one, I think a lot of districts should be actually offering uh, two different type of classes uh, this fall, you know, um, both online um, as well as in person and smaller, you know, um, more spread out uh, spaces and things like that. So if there are folks who don't want to be vaccinated, I would say like, hey, you got a great option. Stay in your, your living room and and teach online those folks uh, who also are you know, want the online learning. And so um, I, I'm nervous that people are rushing, away, you know, like opening up too quick or just rushing back like, oh, everything's, uh, you know, fine. You know, particularly when you see these uh, not only the variant, but just the uptick um, and the numbers and the folks that who are the majority of folks being hospitalized are unvaccinated and all those kind of things. Right. And so not only the folks who are sick, the ones who are being hospitalized. Um, and so, you know, that should raise concerns, um, particularly when we're talking about we're talking about children and exposing them to folks that are just like, oh, I want to do what I want to do. Yeah, you can do that in your own living room, um, but not not within the um, not within the school. So, yeah, um, I think <laughs> I think I'm probably going to have the most violent answer. I think so, bro. <laughs> yeah, you're in the you're in the situation, right? Yeah. So, so uh, from looking at it from the perspective of a parent, I don't want my kid uh, around a teacher that's not vaccinated. Right, just plain and simple. Right, I, I don't, I don't want that. And I, I wish I was in a position to where, because I've seen some organizations that have been like real, like staunch in terms of like, if you're not vaccinated, you can't work here. 
right? Mm-hmm. And so now it's it's like you know it. In these in these unionized schools, of course, they're gonna fight that. They're gonna fight to the ump degree because that's what unions do. Unions allow for folks to to um to, to, to fight these kind of things when it should just be common sense. If the science says that 99% of the folks that are now being hospitalized are unvaccinated, then common sense would tell me that hey, I probably need to be vaccinated, especially when I'm going. So not only the danger that you present to to our kids, but also the danger that's being presented to you, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So like you're now in a position to where something could happen to you in terms of like you contracting COVID or whatever. And then, you know, it's just, it's just really messy. And so, you know, I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to send people out of education, but if you truly care about kids and that's why you're in education, then it would only make sense that you will be a vaccinated teacher. So shout out to the folks that are vaccinated. Shout out to the folks that are not trying to use this as some kind of leverage or some kind of position to, to, you know, to, to play games with kids lives or to even play games with your own life, right? Go out and get vaccinated. Um, stay alive, right? Cause you're seeing what's happening in Arkansas. You're seeing what's happening in, in Louisiana. Like these numbers are, are, are on the rise. That Delta variant, uh, is, is, uh, extremely dangerous as hell. And, uh, and yeah, that, that's that's where I'm at, and it's okay if you disagree in, in the audience. That's what the show is for. We don't. No, it's not. No, it's not. <laughs> it's just not. It's not okay. <laughs> it's just not okay. <laughs> it really isn't. You should actually rethink your life. You should find a friend. You should actually think through all of my friends. Who's my most educated friend? You should call that person. You should say, "You're my most educated pr- person that I know." So I'm gonna have to run this by you. Am I stupid? Right? Like, like I mean, no, 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 no. So, so, uh, so, uh, so the, the, the sister that, uh, that, that made the, that respectfully disagreed, I'm not telling you to vaccinate your kid. Like, if you're, oh, I'm not telling her what to do nobody, at nobody all. Unless your kid no. is, is over the age to be vaccinated. Like, if you, right now, I think the vaccinations are, uh, if you're 11 and under, like, you can't, there's no vaccination, there's no vaccination that's made for your kid. But, but you weren't asking about parents. I wasn't asking about students, parents, right? No. no you're asking about school staff, right? Yep. Now, there are parents in California that are suing the schools, not just over the vaccinations, but also over the masks Mm. and also over the distancing because Mm. they don't think that kids should be at a distance from each other and that they think that it like somehow is going to uh, disturb their social development or whatnot. The masks, the distance you you can homeschool your kid, you know, that's an option. Or you can pod learn. You can there's all kind of options that you can do besides I will say this way though, I do feel differently about students and parents and whatnot than I do about school staff. Yeah. Government funded school staff is a different thing to me. Yeah. And a lot of them are watching Fox News and whatever. You see it all over and over again. This is why Alabama is having such a hard time right yeah. now, even with their school staff. Right. Yeah. And and they, they you know, uh, uh, we are kind of rushing to get kids back into school. Everybody thinks that there's like the, the only way to educate kids is to get them all back into school, for, first of all. Right. It works. I feel like we're rushing a little too hard on that. First of all, and we're doing it before people are vaccinated. And in these red states, you have large number of people in government and politicians who are pushing the don't get vaccinated message. And they are the ones that are seeing the biggest increases right now in this very deadly variant of of the disease. Right. Yeah. Uh, I mean, listen, parents and, and students, that's a different situation, but school staff and people that are paid by the government to, to address like, like there, there was something that just came out 
nursing home staff not wanting to get vaccinated and they serve old people. Yeah, that's crazy. And right. That's where the, the highest, not, you know, like percentages of, of uh, death. Right. So. Yeah. But, right. but see, but then it goes back to this country, not giving two shits about the old and not giving two shits about the young. Right. That's about true. the kids. Right. About the kids. That's you know? crazy. Um, that's two populations in the United States, actually, that people don't care enough about the old and the young. Right. Yeah. And yeah. the people in the middle are like, well, I'm not going to catch it, you know, and I don't get it. Uh, anyways, listen. Until you die. Because like, I, I just saw some, I was watching CNN today. And um, folks in, in in Arkansas that are like near death, and they're saying, "Well, why can't I get the vaccine?" Well, you know, and then the doctors explaining, like, you know, you would have had yes. gotten the vaccine uh, five weeks ago, six right. weeks ago, in order for you to, you know, in order for it to properly like fight what you're going through right now, right? So, like, giving you the vaccine now is not going to help you, right? But then you see all these people, and you 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 look at like their lived experience, and now they're capturing records with these people saying, "Don't be stupid, go get this vaccine." Right? It's nothing like somebody that's on their dying bed telling you, "I I, I miscalculated. <laughs> I thought about this wrongly. Uh, I would still be alive today if I had gotten this vaccine." It's crazy. I mean, people on their deathbed asking for the vaccine. Yeah. Uh, and I, I just want to be real too. Like some people don't like to fly. Some people are afraid. They're not saying saying it, yeah. but they're afraid of like you know getting vaccinated. They're afraid of shots and they're afraid of that whole thing. Yeah. You know, I get it. Like you know, some people. Aretha Franklin didn't want to get on an airplane for years, right? Aretha yeah. Franklin would take buses places, and people thought that was irrational. But I get it because there was a point in my life where I didn't like flying, uh, you know, very much. It's more dangerous uh, to drive than it is to fly. People would say, yeah, but you're talking about you know, logic. And, yeah, people would say that. Oh, you know, the safest way is to be in the air. And I'd be like thinking, no, that don't make a lot of sense to me. <laughs> you know, the safest way to me is to keep myself on the ground. <laughs> right? Who's the football now? There's a football now. Madden. John Madden used to uh, does that. He doesn't yeah. fly. Like he everywhere he goes, he drives. Yeah, Muhammad the man, Ali, man bus. You know, I think Muhammad Ali was the same way. If God intended us to fly, he would have gave us wings, you know. Um, but I get it. You know, at some point, though, when you know that you're facing the possibility of like an imminent death, though, I mean, you just get on the plane, right? You just. That's my motivation, man. I'm trying to walk yeah. baby down the aisle. <laughs> that's my motivation. Whatever I got to do in order to make sure that I'm there, in order to be able to do that, I'm doing it. So at the end of the show, I know I'll say this because this is the way y'all like to do. See, y'all like to shift to other people's business and do other people's things and whatnot. I think it's real funny that you didn't ask whether or not principals should be vaccinated since the show is about principals. But you left y'all out of it. You know, y'all think teachers should be should teachers be, you know, educated school staff. And I said, yeah, but did you in your question on Twitter, did you put teachers or educators? No, I put educators. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. So you including principals in. Yeah, hold yeah. hold them accountable, Chris. Educators, hold them accountable. That's right. Include principals. That's right. And I'm not falling on that rabbit hole. You know, you put you put <laughs> right. on anything, you're gonna get attacked. So anyway, uh <laughs> going, you gotta put educators. Anything you hey, now from now on out, anything that I put out on in, in, in a public forum or on social is gonna be educators. So then therefore I can come back and be like, well. I'm not just talking about teachers. Got to be able to have that disclaimer when it comes down to teachers. Anyway, uh, closing thoughts. Reef, we'll start with you. Closing thoughts, sir. Um, yeah, where do we start? So I'm 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 going to skip over that video. Um, besides saying, <laughs> besides saying, like, listen, like, 
like people people have to be accountable and not some uh you know weaselly apology later like in the moment accountability i think is is important and even more important than that a a culture of what you what we don't stand for you know like if you have established that enough then there's less accountability that you have to do in the moment because people already know like yo, we check chins and we don't tolerate certain things in this space. And that can be anywhere. And as, as a father, um, as a as an educator, I think that's really important that we set a particular culture um, in our schools, in our working environments, and that we constantly hold the bar of what's acceptable and what's not. Um, and so that goes particularly for schools and how we're educating our children, but also uh, for school leadership. I think that is one of the most, and Chris, He's right for calling it out. I think it is one of the the uh, most important roles in the educational ecosystem and the least invested in. And I've said this before. A lot of people love to talk about the three point whatever amount of teacher, three point whatever million amount of teachers in public schools. There are only 100,000 school principals in public schools across this country. 100,000 plus, give or take. If we can't get 100,000 right, there ain't no way in the world you're going to get 3 million plus right. Yeah. It's a simple math equation. Mm. Chris, jump right here. Close the thoughts. I mean, simple math equations are harder if you went to public schools, so don't say it like <laughs> that. So. That's uh, why you need you needed a but They better get some Bob Moseses up in these high schools and middle schools, elementary schools. That's the type of math teachers we need. That's exactly. The... Uh, I will touch the video. The video that we showed at the beginning is just a reminder of the country that we live in. And it's a reminder of the fact that uh, historic racism actually shows up in new ways. And it, it comes voiced through the same people that it was voiced through 10 years ago, 50 years ago, 100 years ago and a millennia ago. So let's stop acting surprised. What should be surprising is the way that we react to it when we are in that situation. There should never be a room, a room half full with uh, black folks who watch a grown woman uh, become the, the target of, a, you know, house nigger claim uh, and do nothing like we are supposed to be raising free people animated people, people who are able to uh, stand their ground and stand their ancestors ground. We're supposed to be raising uh, problem children, problem people, problem adults. Uh, we we need to problematize rooms like that when we are in them. And we can only do that as if we have the education to do it. If we have the confidence and the 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 uh, grounding to be able to do it, the the knowledge of self the self-confidence, the cultural self-confidence. That's not going to come from other people's schools, you know, um, and we got to be clear about that. Like we need uh, to stop talking about these things uh, um, and, and Sharif, I'm not pushing back on what you're saying. I'm just adding to it in a different way, with the, which is a nuance is it can't just be about the numbers of people that we need to get in uh, up through the door. To me, it's got to be about like, this is part of a bigger strategy for saving ourselves, right? Like, I think people like just get stuck on that. We only have this number of educators when really the real problem is we have too few, uh, we have too small of a control over the intellectual development of our own children in total. And that's going to require some principals, some teachers, some schools, some parents, some parent groups, some, um, some uh, organizations that help with like developing new schools, like charters. I no, Naomi was with us in the in the uh, in the comments tonight, uh, who leads an organization that helps schools of color. It's going to be a mass movement. 
to save our children. And uh, and it should be a problem movement. We should be giving this country a problem. Right now, they are handing our asses to us in so many venues, passing laws, outlawing our history, trying to make foreclose on the black mind in the schools, trying to send us back into classrooms that aren't ready for us yet, uh, that still might be more trouble for us than other people in terms of their safety. Uh, and, and we're taking it in so many ways. We got to stop it. Uh, we got to educate ourselves out of this. And principles, I know that's what this show was about like the principals and the school leaders and whatnot. Listen, if they like you two, if they like you two, then I'm all for it. Let's do it. Let's do the damn thing. But that's not what we have. And I hope, uh, <laughs> no, yeah, that's not what we have. And even when we build this pipeline, I hope y'all doing some screening. You know, I hope y'all vetting some people as they come in because, you know, listen, just because they black or brown necessarily, uh, I'm like, I'm really trusting that y'all have some sort of filter still too. Yeah. So, so <laughs> close the thoughts with me a couple things, right? So, uh, me, me and Nay are working on something, man. Working on a project, and so uh, I, I can't wait to let you guys know about it. Can't wait to let folks in the audience know about it. So this is uh, putting us both on the hook to get it done. That's the first thing. Second thing is. Man, this is a little bit more somber for me. Is that um, I want to, I want to, uh, I want you guys that are in the audience to keep my family in in, in prayer. Uh, my little cousin, his uh, his son, uh, was murdered in mm. Louisiana. Uh, you know, over the past couple of days, senseless gun violence. Um, and you know, if you're if you're in these communities to where these youngsters have guns and you know they're they're doing all these things, you know, summer. And uh, the, the the murder rates are disproportionate in the cities that they're usually disproportionate in. And so um, if we could get out and do more programming, this kid was 17 years old, mm. made, made 17 uh, maybe a, a week and a half ago. Uh, and, and my cousin who, who you know, just just hit his 40s is about to lay his baby, who's a twin, uh, to rest. Right. And so now, you know, my whole family is dealing with this grief, uh, you know, it, 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 it's a lot that's happening. So if you, if you guys could just keep 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 us in your prayers, man. Keep uh keep uh Dr. Cole in your prayers as well. As well, that dude is one of the hardest working dudes in show business, and uh, you know, he needs to take breaks, and we all need to take breaks. So when you, like Chris said earlier, when you don't see us or whatever, it's not because we don't love y'all. That is not because we don't want to uh to, to 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 rock with y'all, but it's because we need breaks too. <laughs> So um thank you guys for uh for kicking it with us this week. Um we love and appreciate y'all. Uh we'll we'll check you guys out next week. Peace and love. You have been listening to the Eight Black Hands podcast with Ankrum, Cole, El Mecky, and Stuart. If you like what you heard, follow us on Twitter. Our handle is at 8BlackHands1. Thank you for listening. <laughs>